You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This episode is powered by denmeditation.com with locations in Los Angeles that normalize meditation and make it available to all. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to denmeditation.com. Hey, welcome to Den Talks. This is Tal, and we're here with Tracy Stanley today. She's a meditation and yoga teacher who specializes in yoga nidra, some kalpa activation, don't worry, we'll talk about what that is later, and empowerment. She too left the entertainment industry after years of a very successful career. She now travels the country and shares her gifts with all, and she teaches yoga and meditation while also training future teachers in yoga nidra. We tried about so many things, breakups and how bad relationships are sometimes the best lessons we can get how even successful people can feel unempowered and the steps that you can take to reclaim your voice, what Sankalpa actually is and how to really listen to your heart and soul of what your life path is versus letting your intellect get in the way. That is so hard. We all know we struggle with that. And she gives us some really tangible takeaways. She also dives really into the concept of the difference of acceptance and settling and how fear can cause us to create our own walls of safety that ultimately are a version of our own prison. This episode is all about your dharma, who you are, figuring it out, how to figure it out, how to listen to what you're supposed to be doing in this lifetime, what it means to give and also take. She gives us so many good quotes, so many tangible things to do. She's really a beautiful soul and spirit, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Don't forget to stay at the end because she will have a personal practice that's a 10-minute meditation on gaining clarity. so excited to be sitting with Tracy Stanley because we have been communicating for years, working together indirectly, but we've actually never met like face to face. It is so great to be And you are just as beautiful in person as you are in every other regard. So it's so nice to be here. Um, Tracy is one of the premier leaders in the meditation and yoga wellness space. She's been teaching yoga and meditation formally for over 17 years, but her passion started actually when she was working in the entertainment industry. So I can't wait to talk to her about that since we have that in common. She was a Hollywood producer with 35 films under her belt. And she was leading meditation sessions in her office, which is kind of similar to what was happening with me a little bit. So I love that. Um, she's launching an Empowered Life Circle program in December. She created the Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Oracle Deck and Empowerment Life Journal. So clearly this is a woman who knows something about empowerment and I cannot wait to dig in with you. But let's start with Hollywood a little bit since... Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just since we both have that in common and we were chatting about it before the show, 
you were like, you were in it. I mean, 35 films under your belt is no joke. That's a lot. I was in it. I was, uh, I produced 35 films and then I was an executive of over 150 films. So oh I was in it for real. And it was amazing while it was great. And once my awareness started to evolve, then I realized that there were some things that were not so great about it. So like, let's talk about it. Why do you like, what inspired this like shift of awareness do you think it was just natural evolution or do you feel like what made you start looking at the world a little differently or yourself within the world I think it was natural evolution I was really lucky that I discovered yoga and meditation right at the same time that I got into the business that's amazing and it was amazing and it was divine timing Uh, I don't know that I would have survived in the same way that I did if I hadn't had a practice Um, But as you do, as you go along, you know, on your meditation journey or yoga journey, you start to become more aware. You start to become aware that the things that you say, the things that you think make a difference. And we know that media is so powerful. (laughs) So powerful. And I started to just look at some of the films that I was producing um, action movies, you know, I would say probably 90% of the first few years of producing films had a gun on the poster. Wow. And so it was like, this is actually going out into people's consciousness, whether they realize it or not. So I have a responsibility about what types of things I put out into the world. Did it start to affect how you were doing your job? Um, it, it started to affect the types of things that I was looking for. So I was working for a company, um, that was really known for making action films and they were pretty prolific. We were making anywhere from six to 10 movies a year. Um, and I basically went to my boss and I said, you know what? I really want to do something like Sony classics. I want to have like a little label where I can just make movies that are like a million or $2 million and they actually have a heart. And he's like, go for it. Go ahead and do it. So That's it, pretty amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. It didn't last very long, <laughs> but it was amazing. He's like, I didn't actually think you were going to do it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so how, so your awareness started shifting in that regard. How did you feel, like, how was it shifting to the point you then exited? Like, how was it taking a toll on you either emotionally or today? Like, in the beginning, we were chatting about... We call it rolling calls, which is when you go through your entire call sheet one Mm -hmm. by one because there's just so damn many people on your call sheet. That's the only way to do it. And how she lived and you live and still do in Topanga and how you could spend literally an hour and make a dent of like just four people off your call sheet. I mean, that's what used to happen to me. The stress of I'm finally done and I can actually call people and I've only like like gotten two people off that call sheet and everyone (laughs) else is so pissed at me right now. Right. I mean, how, when you have that stress of like the long list of phone calls and the pile of scripts that I'm sure you were reading, either had to get notes on or like feedback on, what part was like eating at you the most? Was it the volume and the stress? Was it, like you said, the responsibility of what you're putting out there? It was more the responsibility of what I was putting out there. So at some point I uh, decided to leave the company that I was at and I actually moved to Mount Shasta in Northern California and I started my own company. And that was the beginning of me kind of saying, I want to, if I have to make one movie every 18 months, that's what I'll do. Which, you know, saying that now sounds like crazy, right? right? Like, uh, I was like, like, that's actually a lot. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> but at the time, coming from producing as many things as we were, it didn't seem that like crazy, a lot. right? Um, and so I did that for a couple of years, and then I got divorced and had to move because we were in such a small town. Long story. Did you, were you married before I, you guys moved? Like, I was did, married, yeah. And and so we got divorced, and then I moved back to L.A. 
But he was he was all game of moving to Mount Shasta. Yes, he was a yoga teacher, so oh, got it was it. easy. We opened a yoga studio, so I was basically teaching yoga, mostly full-time, and then producing on the side. And I had a 310 area code number, so nobody knew where they were calling me at. So nobody really knew you actually moved while you were producing these no movies. People, nobody knew. And yeah. when you, it's so interesting, like, and you said it before, that you really feel like the yoga meditation kind of saved you. Did people look at you like you were this interesting weird being within the business because I know I had a very different energy than a lot of people and sometimes mm-hmm. it would throw people off not always in a bad way just yeah. in a way that it would get noticed sometimes people would be like whether you're calmer or not that I was always super calm but I had a different perspective I would say on things absolutely and it did throw people off sometimes well you know I found that people would always ask me what are you doing to stay so calm because <laughs> as you know it's completely chaotic we become maybe even crisis junkies where we're looking for the oh, for crisis sure. right it's like you feed off you, of it it's like you're feeding off of it um, and so I would just have a lot of people that would want to know what are you doing and I would start to lead meditation classes in my office or in the cafeteria um, and then I would also have some of the stars of the films who would ask me and I would give them private lessons so I also had a yoga studio for probably 12 years um, of being in the business. I had opened a studio in 2001 and never had the intention of teaching. It was really just to have a space where people could come and practice because I knew how valuable. And that was in Los Angeles. That was in Los Angeles before I went to Mount Shasta. And then you and your husband moved to Mount Shasta. Sorry. Yeah. Um, You open up this yoga studio. You're producing on your own. And then you got a divorce. So what do you, now you, were you married for a long time? We were married for about, uh, we were together for about seven years. It was ill-fated from the beginning. It was. And it was one of those things that had to happen. I had to go through it so that I could really reclaim my power and be who I am today. I would not be who I am today if it hadn't been for that relationship. But let's dig in a little bit deeper on that. Like, what do you mean by that? What power do you feel like you lost or didn't have before that happened to you? Well, I feel like I was the type of person who would dim my light so others could shine. And I was okay with it. And I actually had, you know, I had a vocation that that's my whole livelihood was based on me giving away my creativity so that other people could shine. And it seemed like it was okay until I started to realize that that was kind of a limiting belief that was keeping me held back. How do you feel like you were doing that in your relationship? In the relationship, it was about me putting my beloved husband at the time (laughs) on a pedestal. Right. Yep. And allowing myself to be small in spaces where we were experiencing meditation or yoga, because I felt like, well, I have this really successful career as a producer. This I don't really his. deserve to shine in this space. So let me just make myself as small as possible. And that was just not serving me. So then when you move, what do you think shifted when you move? Like, is it because you weren't in the craziness of your career? It was a calmer version of your career that gave you the ability to have that perspective. What do you, what, like, when did you wake up? (laughs) Well, there were a few things that happened. Um, One of them was just being in a small town, being in a place where things were not, like you said, so crazy. I had a chance to actually pay attention to what was happening. Um, There was some infidelity that also led me to really be able to kind of trace back from the very beginning of our relationship. 
Um, and so it just, the dominoes just kept falling and the veils just kept getting ripped off. And at the same time, I was like, oh, this is a lesson that I have needed to learn for a really long time. And because I haven't seen it, whether it's because I've decided not to see it or because I just didn't have the awareness to see it, it had to get really painful in order for me to be able to wake up. I just got the chills. So, so then you divorced and you said you had to move. So you had to yeah. leave Mount Shasta. So I left Mount Shasta and um, I came back to LA. Were you nervous to come back to LA? You know, it was really interesting because... I had spent all this money kind of creating this space for the yoga and, and meditation and really had given up, you know, my job and a great livelihood to be in this small town. And I just said to myself, well, if I could stay here, but if I do, I'm probably going to go bankrupt because now it's rounding out to be around 2008. And I can already see, even though the crash hadn't happened, it was about to. that it was about to happen. And so I just said out loud... I need a project to bring to take me out of the small town, get my mind off of what's happening, and make some money. And literally within three hours, a friend of mine who owned a production company called me, and he's like, hey, I'm getting ready to fire my head of production and development. Do you think you would want to take the job? And I was like, absolutely. Oh my God, been, I keep getting chills. <laughs> we've been trying to work together for years. And he said, well, there's only one thing. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, you have to move back to L.A. He, did, he knew nothing about what like, had been going on. I'm only one I'm like, thing. I have to move back to L.A. My car is already packed. Let me. And so I came back to L.A. and worked with his company for a while. They had a mission statement that was really more about making spiritual films. Perfect. So it was perfectly in alignment. Um, things did begin to shift after a while because the economy changed and it was no longer kind of the environment to make money. Uh, and so when that started to happen, I kind of went back to the same thought that I we talked about earlier. It was like, what are we putting out into the world? I need to take responsibility for that. And if it's not in alignment, I have to be able to have the courage to walk away from it. Even though it might be fine for someone else, it wasn't great for me. And that was really it. And so then you walked away. And so I walked away, and that was in 2012. And at this point, you don't have your meditation center, I mean, your yoga center here anymore. No. Right, because you gave that up when you left. Yeah. So then when you walked away, were you starting from scratch? I was starting from scratch. So the idea was that I was once again going to start my own thing. I had a partner. We had a couple of films that we had taken from the old company that we were planning on doing, and we were working on some reality TV shows that had to do with consciousness. Um, and you know what I started to realize is that the business was changing a lot, and that you needed more people to make a film. You know, it wasn't; it was no longer we're going to find one financier to yeah. finance the movie, and those are the people that you have to manage it became like, oh, there's like five different financiers and some people that you're not even sure who they even are or where the money is coming from. So that was something that um, I wanted to be really cognizant of. And then I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I used to work with. And he said, you know, I have somebody that, I, that wants to do a yoga class and I want to know if I can bring her over to your house. And I said, okay, great. And he brought her over, and when I opened the door, it was Marianne Williamson. No. And so we did this yoga class together, 
And after the yoga class, she asked me to join her on retreat leading yoga. I got chills again. You've had so many divine moments. It's crazy. It was a lot of divine moments. And, you know, it's funny because my I wanted to say, no, I don't really feel like having someone come over to my house and do. But he was so adamant about it that I was like, OK, great. This must be a friend of his who really needs some yoga and meditation. And that really was something happened on that um, tour with Marianne Williamson to me, where I really started to see the power of reaching many people you know we had over like 120 people on this retreat that was like a three-day long retreat and it was like okay this is so much different than speaking to 12 people in a yoga class or 20 people in a yoga class this is something where we're actually able to people are healing in the room transforming and they're transforming and their lives are never going to be the same and they're creating bonds with each other and finding a like-minded community in a really powerful way. And so just being with her, I feel like showed me the types of possibilities that there were for healing and also for being able to make a living as somebody who could guide people in a way. So you give Marianne some credit, I mean, if that's the right word, for kind of giving you permission to fully embrace this life. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like she saw me. I mean, I love Marianne. And she's amazing. Fierce. Yeah. But she saw me. Yeah. And it wasn't, there was no, nothing other than I see what you have to offer and I want to give you the opportunity to offer it. It's funny because I have very different, but I give Marianne credit for giving me, she has no clue she did it, but permission to also do what I was doing that was different. Because I when I was struggling when I was first opening the den. I had I have very two very different sides of me. And I, don't forget the den was a very different thing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I have a very spiritual side and right. and I always have. And then I have like the business side that I like, kind of that analytical side. And it was I was I felt like I never knew how to fully present myself like when I was talking to like teachers and trying to get them to come because don't forget teachers were like what are you doing like I had to go find these people right. like I remember driving all over like town to be like this is what I'm doing I know it sounds weird I'd love for you to come like work and this blah 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 and I felt like I had to I was always confused which side I should show them because I figured either way they were going to doubt me like they'd either think I was a shrewd person and therefore didn't actually care about people and was looking at this of service or they'd be like oh god people like this can't create a business because you know what I mean and I started to get, especially the more I was with people, I started to get more nervous that like the biz- I should hide the business side because mm-hmm. it, it's not who I am. And then Marianne, it was like two weeks before we opened, walked into the den because she wanted to do an event there. And I'd never met her. And when she walks in, I mean, that woman, I, I said fierce earlier, and it's a perfect way to Absolutely. say it. The door opens and this energy just comes in. And right away she's like, because she was planning an event and mm-hmm. she was all business. And everything she said to me was like all business. And then she sits down, she's like, so. And we just start chatting. And I remember in that moment going, she just gave me the biggest gift and she has no clue she did it. But she just walked in here all business. Like the other side of her, which we all know Marianne is, Mm -hmm. who gives gifts constantly of love and self-love and spirituality. She walked in there and was just showing that business hardcore side. And I was like, oh, you can do both. And you can own it. And it's okay. And it's okay. And it was the best gift I ever got. And she gave it to me. So I think that's really interesting. Beautiful. I love that. So thank you, Marianne. Yes, thank you, Marianne. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know what you're talking about because there was a very long time where I felt like I had two sides. 
where it was like this yeah, successful you came producer from that side too. and then this person who was teaching yoga and people would not know from the film business and did not know that I was had a yoga studio if they happened to wander into the studio they would be like what is going on what are you doing here <laughs> and you know my students would then say i thought i saw your name on a movie and that would and i never they didn't feel like they could blend, even though they it everything did, can. But it, yeah. did, right. it took me a long time to be able to um, make those two things happen. That's so interesting. Yeah. So now you're this teacher who travels all the time. You know, you, you specialize in yoga nidra as well, which mm-hmm. um, I love. And we've had you at the yes. Den teaching, and you do a teacher training program for yoga nidra, which you're traveling now a lot to do. So one of the things in yoga nidra is sankalpa, mm-hmm. which I really want to talk about because I yes. don't think everybody understands truly what it is. And I think it can be a little confusing. And mm-hmm. how would you describe it so it's different than just manifestation or, or maybe it is a version of manifestation? Well, a sankalpa is actually a resolve. So, you know, we like to say that it's, oh, we're going to set an intention, right? An intention is not the, even the same as a resolve, because the sankalpa is something that springs forth from the heart. So you have to be able to get really clear and quiet and into the space of the heart in order to find the sankalpa. Otherwise, you're just creating a sankalpa from the intellect or from the mind. So can you give us an example of what the difference of that is? Well, when you give, when you create a sankalpa from the mind, you aren't really sure where you're creating it from because we have all these negative mental constructs and limiting beliefs. So how do you really know if you're creating a sankalpa that's going to lead you towards your dharma or something that's actually leading you in the opposite direction? Um, So there's this thing called perfect sankalpa and that's basically where you do a process of vichara, which is something that's talked about in the yoga sutras. Um, And it's basically a process of kind of self-inquiry being able to trace back events and thoughts and really come up with what are those vasanas and samskaras, the impressions that happened to you early in life that created impressions that then created a coloring because there was nothing to ever wipe the coloring off. And it changes the way that you're seeing the world. So if you're seeing the world and you have a misperception of the world because there's this coloring over your lens, you aren't able to actually create intentions that are going to move you forward. So sankalpa is something that is really a science, I feel like. Interesting. Um, And in order to really create one that is going to move you forward, uh, my teacher, Yoga Rupa Rodstriker, wrote a whole book about it uh, called The Four Desires, and he has an entire process that takes you through finding the limiting belief and then being able to create a sankalpa and uh, having a practice that helps you to move energy away from the things that are not helpful in your life, like bad habits, and giving energy to the sankalpa that actually helps to manifest. So can you give us an example, like if you were doing a sankalpa, is it a statement, is it a phrase, is it internal, just for people who don't There's know. There's so many ways in which you can do it. So um, a sankalpa can be in the form of a petition, It could be in the form of a prayer. It could be in the form of an affirmation that you say in the present tense. So the idea and the way that I learned Sankalpa is that you speak the Sankalpa in present tense as though it has already happened. 
So essentially what you're doing is you're tuning your entire vibration, your entire body, your entire mind field into the fact that you have already achieved this sankalpa. And everything then starts to magnetize towards you as though it is already in motion, it's already happened. So how, do you, how again, just so people understand like the mm-hmm. difference of when your ego and intellect kind of get in the way versus if you dig a little deeper. So if someone right away came to you like, but I really want to change, like I'm struggling with my weight or I'm struggling mm-hmm. with my business, I need clarity, whatever it is, like, so I want to lose weight or I want, uh, I, I, I want to make more money. Mm-hmm. What would your response to that be? My response to that would be to have a conversation with them where we could dig down deeper to discover why you needed to lose weight. What's the benefit of you losing weight? What do you hope to gain from that? Right? So we can look at it and say, well, I hope to gain, you know, I want to meet a man. Right? That, that's just a typical yeah, yeah, generic one, right? But it, at some level, if you're thinking that that five pounds is going to make the difference between you meeting the right man or not, there may be something underneath that that's about worthiness. And so then we have to start looking at, do you really believe that you're worthy? And if you don't believe that you're worthy, why? Is it really about the weight or is it about something else? Are you protecting yourself in some way? And is that the reason why maybe there's extra weight that you're using as an, an armoring? Or is it possible that you're absolutely beautiful and divine as you are with 15 extra pounds and that you need to accept yourself? So then how would you, ultimately when digging deeper, then how would the sankalpa be rephrased or changed? It would depend on what the Resolve, core right. issue is. And once you find the core issue, then you create a sankalpa that's the antidote for the negative and limiting belief. So if it was the I'm not worthy, the sankalpa would be I'm worthy. Possibly. It, we usually go a little bit deeper, deeper. and find something um, that works a little bit better and more specific to each person because there's a reason why you would feel unworthy. What is it that informed you? What is one of those samskaras, those impressions that happen? So you tie that, that in. And in it order. all gets tied in. And the philosophy behind all this is putting the energy out and how, how if you were talking to someone and someone goes, that make, I don't get it. That makes no sense. It's just words. Mm-hmm. What would you say in response to that? Well, uh, Rod has something in his book called The Departure Point. And let's think we would have somebody make a list of their bad habits. So... Give me one of your bad habits. Oh, I have so many. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Don't we all? I was like, I have a few. I have Ways the, in which the, you waste time. Oh, I watch too much TV at night in order to like chill out, but okay. it's like such a waste. So too much TV at night. <laughs> so if you were to go to bed and someone said, don't turn on the TV, would you feel an actual like physical pull to turn the television on? Probably. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm in a place where I've actually been thinking about this a lot, right. so I'd probably be like, I know, I'm not going to. But yes, if I wasn't thinking about it, then yeah, yes, I'd probably be like, well, now I'm going to watch longer and yeah. later. So most of us have something that's a bad habit where it actually feels like it has a physical pull. You know, when you're going for that coffee. It's an addiction. Or you're going for that sugar, or you're going for... Facebook or scrolling on Instagram. I mean, that's there, crazy what's happened with that the, yeah, for all of us. Yeah, there's a pull. You know, so what would happen? Will we agree that that pull is a form of energy? 
Yes, right? I would. And that that energy is actually pulling you away from your dharma because spending 30 minutes on Instagram is not helpful or on Facebook is not helpful. So what we do is we actually create a pause there. We actually give up the bad habit. And the moment that you feel yourself wanting to be pulled towards the bad habit, you create a pause. And that pause is called the departure point. That's the moment that you make the decision to give your energy to your sankalpa and not to the negative habit, right? And then you see the gap with the sankalpa, with the actual statement. So instead of you doing the TV, right, you pause and you basically repeat your sankalpa to yourself three times in that space. And then you move on and do something that's more in line with dharma. I love that because you're actually giving people something. I mean, I know this sounds so benign and like base, but like you're giving people something to do. Because I think a lot of times when, you know, people come up with resolutions or wanting to change things in their lives, you know what you want, but then it's like, how do you actually do it? You're like, I got to break that habit, like you said, but then how do you fight the pull? And so I love like the pause and actually saying it three times. It's... It's great. I think that's... Well, it also helps you to remember because most of the time people, you know, set an intention and by February 15th, they don't even remember the intention they set anymore. That's right. They keeps it alive. Yeah. It keeps it alive and it changes your frequency. It completely shifts your entire frequency. Around how many days do you you guys look at it? We do it as a 40-day practice because we know that after anywhere between 21 and 30 days, the neural pathways in the brain start to change, right? And that that's how long it takes to break a habit. It also is how long it takes to create a new habit. So your mind will start to function in a different way. You'll start to think a different way. You'll start to see things in a different way. And everything that you see and do will be in the service of the sankalpa. So there's a quote from the Upanishads um, that goes, uh, you are your deepest driving desire. As is your thought, so is your will. As is your will, so is your deed. And as is your deed, so is your destiny. So what we're doing is we're changing the thought so that we can change our destiny. And is it amazing this small little change of, like you said, frequency totally affects the rest of it? It affects everything. Because we are energy. We, where your mind goes, your energy goes. So when you're talking with someone who's depressed, how, I mean, that's a whole other layer of where your mind goes, your energy goes. Because if, especially if you struggle, mm-hmm. how do you feel like that affects this whole process or the ability of shifting your frequency? Well, I mean, the first or a pessimist place, or, a, you know, I think depression is something that needs to be looked at and spoken to with a doctor to make sure that there isn't some need for, you know, um, medication or some kind of intervention um, but for the most part, the, one of the hardest way, things to shift is the way of thinking, right? So if you can start with a habit that's actually a physical habit, like drinking coffee or scrolling on Instagram, then you can say, okay, I've done that. I'm shifting my level of awareness because I'm able to kind of catch myself as I'm doing it. Now I can start to move into ways that I'm thinking, So maybe I'm going to choose being judgmental of others. When I feel myself becoming judgmental, I pause and I repeat my sankalpa, right? So you can kind of start to do it in layers. 
Um, depression, there's so many different reasons why somebody could be depressed from the food that they're eating. This is where Ayurveda comes in um, to the environment that they're in. You know, if you're not getting enough light, if you're not getting enough food that has prana in it, that can make you feel what we would call tamasic, which is like heavy, like you have a lot of inertia and lethargy. And, you know, that definitely looks like depression. So I think that depression is a tricky one um, because there's so many factors that can play into it. Um, but I have had people that have removed themselves out of feeling very low by um, doing meditation, yoga nidra, because yoga nidra is another big piece of sankalpa. Uh, because when you're practicing yoga nidra, you are in a state of probably the lowest resistance. Can you explain just in case there's people listening that don't know what yoga nidra is? Yeah. Um, so yoga nidra is known as the yoga of sleep. So the word nidra means sleep. But it's also been defined as sleep with a slight trace of awareness. <laughs> um, and it's also been defined as enlightened sleep. Um, my teacher calls it enlightened I, sleep. I love that definition of it. Yeah. And so it's basically, you know, we go to sleep to wake up. You know, we're not going to sleep to fall asleep to the world. We're going to sleep to wake up to the infinite. And when Beautiful. we're in that space, we can actually take these intentions, sankalpas, resolves, hearts, desires, and we can place them in a certain place as we're kind of moving down through the layers of awareness and states of consciousness. We can place them in a certain place in Yoga Nidra that will help to seed them so that they can grow. Hey, you guys, just a quick note, because we do get asked all the time, what are other things we can do? We have so many certifications. So if you're in the area and want to come and do some live, you should really check out our certifications. We have our big one. That is a 400-hour teacher training certification. That is incredible, not only if you don't want to be a teacher, but if you just want to go deeper in your meditation practice, where you learn about all lineages. We have all the Reikis, one, two, three, and master. We do intuitive healing, which is a longer program about learning how to read people intuitively and do readings. We also have an animal communications and a self passion. So many. My point is, check it out. There's ways to dig deeper into your practice. There's ways to get certifications. Go to denmeditation.com and take a look. Sorry for the interruption, guys, but I want to talk about our next Den Talks Live event. They have been going so well. They're super informative and also really fun. The next one is Thursday, April 25th at 7.30 p.m. at the La Brea location. We are doing female bosses, and we have some badass ladies coming on. And per usual, some amazing gift bags with surprises from all of our sponsors, including Little West, Oja, Shape House, Moto Yoga, and Four Sigmatic, and more. We always do light bites and drinks at the end as well, so you get a chance to really socialize and talk to everybody. And there's a Q&A, so you really do get so much out of this. It's always fun. We hope to see you there. Again, it's Thursday, April 25th. If you're interested, go to dentalkspodcast.com to reserve your space. So clearly, Tracy's amazing. And if you want to spend more time with her, we actually have a day-long retreat coming up with her in September. So Saturday, September 21st, whole day at Den Studio City. So you have plenty of time to reserve your space, but go to denretreats.com to do it. It's yoga nidra and self-inquiry for creative activation. I promise you some huge breakthroughs. So come join us. She's amazing. Join our day-long retreat. So going back to dealing with someone who might 
live in the more negative, whether it be mm-hmm. depression or just, you know, their mindset. Yeah. How, and you were saying yoga nidra is the path of, you didn't say least resistance, but you there was something you said specific. There's, your resistance is, is are down. Right. Right. Because you're moving into a relaxation state and there's nothing, it's not like meditation. doesn't give you much to fight against. Right. You're, not, you're yeah. not fighting against, oh, my hips or my knee hurts or my back hurts. All the things that you might be doing if you're in, you know, a traditional meditation class. This is basically sleep, which is something we spend, you know, a third of our lives doing. Yeah. Um, so you could give someone uh, or create with someone a specific meditation uh, or yoga nidra uh, and sankalpa that would help to kind of reframe that they have their own radiance and allow them to touch that place, which is really what yoga nidra does. It brings you back to your radiance. It brings you back to that place within you that's beyond all sorrow. So if you can recognize and have that experience that there's this place within me that is eternal and always radiant, then I have now an awareness that, oh, all of my circumstances and things around me are not me. I'm this radiance. How do you help people understand and get to that radiance in the sense of, you know, we were talking about the intellectual mind versus mm-hmm. your soul path, um, the sankalpa versus the ego. How do you teach people how to listen to it differently, how to actually know which one's talking? Because to me, I think that for a lot of people is the most confusing thing. You tell them, like, dig deep, what is it? And there's, like, almost a stop because... They don't know what they really want or who they really are yet, so they're not sure what voice is talking. Right. Well, the thing is, I don't believe that there's any way you can teach that. You have to allow for the spaciousness for someone to actually have that experience. And once they have the experience, they can never go back from there. So how would you guide someone to try and have the experience? Oh, there's so many different ways. I mean, um, allowing them to... First of all, find some consistency in practice is really important. Um, Being able to still the mind is important. Um, And then being able to guide them into the cave of the heart. Right. So there's this place that is said to be the cave of the heart where this light shines. Why do you think it's so funny? Because I don't know why this, uh, I want to talk to you about this, but, you know, the goal, anyone who works in this space, obviously, we, it, it's the central theme and everyone comes at it differently, but it's always like, go inward. It's beautiful. It's light. The answers are there. You know all. We're all connected energy. I mean, there's so many different ways mm-hmm. to say it. Why is it so scary and so difficult when it's so beautiful and so welcoming? Well, um, does that question make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Because who would you be if you were powerful? Who would you be if you were really powerful? Sometimes there's inherent danger in being powerful. If, it, if you grew up in a household where it wasn't safe for you to speak your mind, or to be seen, or to be strong, or to be willful, then it's going to be scary for you to reclaim your power. So, yeah. The world tells us not that we're not powerful. Everything around us, from advertising to everything, tells us that we're not powerful. It tells us that we're lacking our power, that we need this item or that man or this woman or this thing in order to make ourselves whole. 
I mean, it's an interesting part of what you were talking about, the Sankalpa in general, is losing that version of the wording to get to what's truly there versus all of the negativity of what you are not mm-hmm. and trying to get to what you are and then put that energy out there. Exactly. So, I mean, it is really fascinating. It brings us actually to empowerment. So you're creating, you're working on this whole, explain what it is. Well, um, I'm working on uh, something called the Empowered Life Circle. So I work with a lot of people on Sankalpa. Um, A lot of them are creating new businesses or they're trying to get out of corporate and do something in the wellness field. And so what I felt was, you know, one thing I'm seeing is that working with people one-on-one is great and we can have support together, but to have a community of like-minded people that are going through the same thing and to be able to give people a set of tools where they can have more access to practices um, would be great. So I basically put together an online program um, that takes you through six months of pre-New Year's Day. This is really important for me to have people be really clear and stable before the New Year. Um, So it starts in December. Um, to be able to craft the perfect sankalpa, one that is not informed by doubt. So that means that we're, dig- we're doing the digging to find the obstacles. Um, they have a set of uh, tools that they get every month. They get a one-on-one with me. They have a group coaching call every month. And it really is a set of you know tantric practices that are meant to accelerate you and to help you to manifest. And it's a six-month program. That's amazing. And I love. What do you feel like has drawn you to empowerment? Like, because it feels like so much of what you do is about empowering. Why do you feel like that's kind of? Do you think part of it's because that was what you had to learn? A- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that I had to learn. That was the thing that I had to see. And I don't believe that you can really teach something unless you have Experience. gone through it yourself and you have been able to move through it. It's so interesting. I. I love actually talking to you who you were very successful in struggling with empowerment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting nuance that people should know. Cause I, I think from a broad perspective, one would think, Oh, well, if you've got that going, you're fine. You don't need anything more. Like, and I think it's, it's just so interesting to realize, no, we're all layered and we can right. all be out of balance at different times, no matter what you're going through. But do you get that where people don't believe that was your struggle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're like, okay, you, you're producing all these movies, you're flying private, you're hanging out with this movie star and that movie star. I was extremely introverted. Are and, you still in, like, are you? And I am very introverted. But I grew up in a house where um, I was told to be more quiet, right? So for me, it was about like being quiet and demure and safe. Did you have a big family? I didn't have a big family, but my dad was very, very strict. And in retrospect, when I look back at it, he was trying to keep me safe. Right. right? So there are these things that, you know, as a black woman in the world, he was trying to keep me safe from harm. Um, and going into the film business, especially, I think it's a little bit better now, but as a female Absolutely. executive and a black, black executive, um, you know, there was also uh, a way in which I also felt uh, disempowered because people would walk into the room and they would think, oh, well, you're kind of cute, you're black. <laughs> and you're young, because I look younger than I am, you must have done something to get to this. You, you, you didn't get here just by your 
you know, brains. Something else is going on. Doesn't that drive you crazy? It used to drive me crazy yeah. in that business. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm a pretty, ca- I mean, you see me now, I'm yeah. a very casual dresser mm-hmm. and kind of slobby. And, and I've always been like that, so yeah. I definitely think it's inherently who I am. But I do think the, the business actually helped me really keep it because I really almost, I was always the one dressed like shit. And I almost feel like I was proud to do it right. because I felt like, I, like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, when you were young and, you know, kind of cute, people just didn't trust you in that business. They were just right. automatically assumed you sucked at your job mm-hmm. and got there from a different way. And that used to drive me crazy. Yeah. And then you almost felt like you had to prove it in a you different way. You feel like you have to prove it in a different way. Yeah. So you are working with people to kind of like circumvent that part mm-hmm. and just own your truth and own, own your their, strength. Own the truth, own their power, be able to see what their obstacles are so they don't trip up over them. And because I do have this background as a producer and a, as a business owner, to be able to help to give them both sides of how to structure a business and create something and also how to weave through their spirituality through it so they don't get lost. How do you feel like with self-awareness these days, like the ability of, as you were saying, this evolution, and for you, you had this self-awareness and started paying attention. What's the balance of like inner critic and self-awareness? Well, where is the inner critic coming from? Right? Because the inner critic is usually going to be part of the negative construct, the negative mental construct. Right. Right. So give me an example of like something the inner critic would say. I mean, it could be anything. It could be like, you talk too much, you're not being nice, you eat too much, you, I mean, anything. You really have to be able to do self-inquiry practice around that to see, is it true? Or are you just being unkind to yourself? Are you looking for a way to beat yourself up? Or... Are you not going by the Ayurvedic principle of having, you know, one third of your stomach still empty of food and you're really overeating? Is it really true? And really being able to discern. And I think that that's part of what our meditation practice gives us is that ability to see clearly and discern what's true and what is just, you know, that voice that isn't helpful. What do you feel like you see is the biggest difference of people when they finally tap into that like you said you can't force someone or know what to do but let them have the experience for themselves like someone who works so closely with people all the time what do you feel like you immediately see the difference you're like ah they they saw it they begin to slow down um they become more uh present more compassionate less moving from the voice of the inner critic and they have they start to have this kind of innate desire to help other people see it. I mean, it's probably why you're sitting here in this meditation studio and doing this podcast is because you want other people to wake up. Yeah, that's right. Right? It's like we get woken up to this idea that our, our universal dharma is to love, give, and serve. And it happens in many different ways that we can do that. But if you have a gift and you've been given something and you wake up to the fact that it's something that everybody can, you know, just benefit from and that that's the thing that might be what's broken with the world, then you want to go out and share it. So the 
service aspect of this because I was talking about this earlier how can you explain that to people so they're not all like oh my god I gotta quit my job right now and go volunteer (laughs) you know at the food shelter or whatever it is where which by the way you can do that too I'm not saying don't and if that's your calling absolutely you should do that but I think for some people they can't everything's very extreme so Mm. can you explain what service can also be in a broad sense and and again, I think it connects to your life path and what you are meant to do. So again, it's like, how can people start looking inward to figure out what that means for them? Well, it's funny because um, Rod Stryker talks about this in his book as well, um, that the universal dharma is to love, give, and serve. But in order for you to really uh, find your dharma and be that unique ray of light in the world, it means that you also have to have your desires met. So it doesn't mean that you get, keep giving and giving and giving because then you just have nothing, right? We have to somehow fill our cup to overflow and then we give from the overflow. So figuring out what is it that actually fills your cup to overflow is one of the things that helps you to walk the path of dharma. But that's so amazing. It's like, so actually figuring out what you need and want and with the, the bad version to take and to mm-hmm. have it's actually what's going to help you figure out what to give. Absolutely. Because most people wouldn't think that way. They would think like one's a self... People, I think, would think the, the taking part seems selfish or narcissistic. No. No. Cause, and it's all in not so much in how you take, but how you manifest, how you see the world, how you move through the world. So expand on that. So if, let's say... Um, I want to be able to help children in some way. Um, If I am just giving all my money and all my time, at some point I'm going to be depleted, right? What is it about helping children? How do I want to help them, right? Is it through making money and giving that money away? What are my passions? Well, maybe one of my passions is painting. So what happens now if I fulfill this passion, this desire that I have to be creative, and I actually use that to fuel the money that I'm going to give to X, Y, and Z children's organization? So now I'm able to be of service, but I'm also doing something that fills my own cup. Does that make everybody feel better? (laughs) But I think it makes me feel better. I think it should make everyone feel like, I think there's a stress out there sometimes feeling like people are one side or the other. And I think there's something really nice about knowing like you can take care of yourself too and that's the only way you're actually going to be able to take care of others, whatever that means. You have to. You have to take care of yourself. You know, yeah. being a martyr is not sustainable. No, not at all. How do you tell people to like with meditate? I feel like another block from meditation for some people is um, I don't want it to change my personality. I like who I am. <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel like I've heard that a few times and I'm always like right. baffled by it. Like, right. what would you say to that? If people like, if that's like a block of someone like meditating? Well, I mean, it's inter- It's an interesting comment to make because I think that there, uh, there's an inherent understanding that there may be a part of you that could change. If you see the truth, if you become more aware, you may have to change. And so the question is, you know, when do you want to change? Do you want to change when it becomes too painful to be who you are? Or do you want to change before that? 
That's yeah. the question, period. Yeah. You make the decision. And when you define change, what do you think change is? Change is really being able to see um, 360 degrees, to really just change your event horizon. That's really what awareness is. Is right? like you and I are sitting here eye to eye, but if somebody's above us at the top of that tree, they're going to see something completely different. I want to be able to see the whole room. Right. That's why I meditate. So what's interesting about all that is like, yes, you'll change because you'll get a 360, but you're actually just becoming more you. You are. And, and it's scary because sometimes it may mean that a relationship has to end. It may mean that the job that you're making so much money at has to end. And people are really afraid of change. Well, yeah, because there's safety in knowing exactly what's happening. And we create sometimes prisons for ourselves. But I always find that fascinating. The conversation I have with people like that is like, you still don't know what's happening. Even if you create this prison or this perfect set, right. you still actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow no. or the day after. We, we so delude I always, ourselves. Right. So I always <laughs> feel like it's so interesting that the idea of like trying to steal control there's really no way to do it. So you might as well just enjoy some of the openness of being able to have change and do things because there's a lot of fun that comes with that too, as scary as it can be, because you can't control your future no matter how hard you try. No, you can't. And um, I think that meditation attunes you to the ebbs and flows because we start with focusing on the breath, right? We know that the breath is not always the same. There's hitches and breaks in the breathing, then we start to look at the mind and we notice that, oh, one day I sit down for meditation and I feel like, whoa, I dropped in really deep. And the next day, it's like the mind Ugh. is a world. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you've been meditating necessarily. That could happen from day to day. But you begin to accept it and you begin to see it as just something that's a wave. So let's talk about acceptance for a second. And then I want to get to your four use because I love the word acceptance, but I think it can have a negative connotation of settling. So what's the, what do you think the difference of acceptance and settling and how would you like explain that to someone? Well, to me, settling has uh, this like tinge of apathy to it. It's just kind of like, okay, I guess this is good enough. Who wants that in their life? Right. Acceptance is... This is something that in this moment I might not be able to change. So I need to soften around it so I can actually see what's happening. And then I can take right action based on that. As opposed to resisting change, which is not going to be helpful, the acceptance allows you to see it from a different perspective. And how, would you, how do you work with the idea of not, like if you're in a tough situation or it, like, you know, we all have ups and downs in our life and you just happen to be in a down and you're in it. How do, you, how do you work in acceptance without feeling like you're giving up the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, you know, some people are like, I just have to get through, I just have to get through. Or if I accept, then I'm just accepting this and I'm not fighting for it to change. Well, the thing is, I, I think that it's all, it's gradations, right? It's like, we're not going to go to the point where we're settling and we're just being apathetic to it. We're accepting the situation. And then in that acceptance, we're able to be able to see how we should react because resistance right away doesn't allow you to have any moves. You're basically just resisting. 
You're not seeing what's to the left or to the right. Acceptance is kind of like, oh, I'm taking a step back and I'm seeing, okay, this is where I am. Let me sit with this for a moment and see and see what comes to me. See where I need to, to go. I think that that's, that's the difference. And in that, it gives you more clarity of being kind of okay and helping you make probably smarter decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really helpful because I do think people get stuck in that a lot of, you know, they feel like acceptance is negative. No, it's not negative at all. I mean, you have, um, there's a saying by a great sage, uh, Shankacharya, is that life is merely waves ebbs and flows neither inauspicious or meaningful and so there's a whole practice where you just meditate on that statement and I did that for a long time as a practice to be because it, it sounds like well what do you mean it's ebbs and flows and that nothing's important or nothing's not important but once you really start to be able to see that you're there's a little bit of acceptance that starts to creep in that allows you to not be reactive. I was going to say, I feel like there's an ease to that. There's an ease, and that's the ease. The ease like a, is the It's the beauty of like fullness. It's mm-hmm. like it's all full. It's all there, always. Exactly. In every moment. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm actually now literally just picturing you. <laughs> I love that. That's a beautiful practice. So four yous, because you're just full of so much knowledge. So these are just four quick takeaways mm-hmm. for the audience. What type of meditation do you rely on the most? Uh, my meditation that I rely on the most is yoga nidra. Do you journal or have any other daily practice? I do. I journal. Um, I do a form of kind of morning pages. Um, and I also use my cards as self-inquiry practice. And I also have other cards that I use and pull as self-inquiry. And you do that every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, so when you go over the same cards, do you find that your answers are different? Most of the time, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? First thing I do when I wake up is I pause in the transition between uh, sleeping and waking. And by that, just taking a moment? Taking a moment to notice the transition and seeing what's there. I don't think most of us do that. Well, if you're working with Sankalpa, it's a great thing to do because there's a practice that I have that sets the sankalpa before you go to sleep. And generally the first thing, the last thing that you think about before you go to sleep is the first thing that you'll think about when you wake up. So being really clear that you're not going to bed with any negative thoughts, that you need some sort of a palate cleanser, right, to go to sleep with. And then if you seed yourself with a little sankalpa and then wake up, remember that sankalpa as you're waking up, it shifts everything. I love that because I take a pause but I don't think I've ever taken a pause to just kind of only look inwards like sometimes I do gratitude sometimes I take in what's happening but there's a different shift to what you're talking about which I really like it gets refined the more yoga nidra you practice that's amazing um what's your favorite self-care hack my favorite self-care is abhyanga so abhyanga is a ayurvedic uh, self-care ritual that is basically a warm oil massage. So I do that every day. And it is divine. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you warm it? What do you warm it up in? You just take a big pot, warm just... up some hot water, take it a glass bottle of the oil, put it in there, and you basically oil your body. There's a specific way in which you um, rub your body. 
but it's because your skin's so soft. Everyone tells me my skin is really soft. <laughs> it must so be. the skin is soft, but most of all, it's really about self-love. It's really a way to wake up and say, I honor myself. I'm, you know, I love myself. What do you think the biggest difference when you look back on your life 20 years ago to now? What do you think the biggest difference is? The biggest difference is that I'm not afraid to use my voice. I love that. And if you could give one piece of life advice to people, what would it be? Find out what negative mental construct or limiting belief is running underneath your life so that you can eradicate it. And again, I know we talked about it earlier, but what would the first step to doing that be? Self-inquiry. And how does one answer that and keep the conversation going? One answers that with maybe sitting in meditation, noticing what emotion or coloring there is that's present, and then feeling as though they can trace back to the last time they felt that way, especially if it's something that's negative or unhelpful. And then continuing to just keep tracing back and back in time until they can get to the very first time that they felt that way. And, and starting a journaling practice around it. I was going to say, and that can take a long time. And it just could for take people, months. Yeah, yeah, that's not always in your first yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you, I mean, look, it is like an onion and we always say it's peeling the layers. Do you feel like you start the self-inquiry and then it just brings up more questions and then... Because I know sometimes when I do yeah. stuff like this, I really get, I can go, 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 and then I'm just blocked. And it'll bother me. And sometimes the block might last for a while, and I'll just keep, like, I'm a pretty, like, I can analyze and analyze, and I'll keep trying and trying. And then out of the blue, it'll be the weirdest thing that just cracks open that door a little bit, and a new piece of information just walks in. Absolutely. That's what we're doing. When we're meditating, we're creating the space for those answers to come in, for those realizations to come in. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Thank you, you guys, for please having me. stay and listen to her practice. It's going to be a meditation on clarity, which I think is so much of what we've actually been talking about. Mm-hmm. And thank you for being so honest. It's it's so interesting to talk to someone who's had a little bit of a similar journey. We we came out in different ways. Yes. But you are filled with so much inspiration and knowledge. And thank you for letting me just pick your brain. Oh, of course. Thank you for having it's me. So great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Now Tracy is going to lead us in her personal practice, which is a meditation on clarity. So please come to a comfortable cross-legged seat. Just allow your spine to be tall and long. The crown of your head reaches up towards the sky. And your shoulders drop down away from your ears. So even though your body is erect, there is a sense of effortlessness, a sense of softness in your seat. So allow your breath to just be free. And just begin to watch the breath as it moves in through the nostrils. and out through the nostrils.
As you continue to watch the breath, just feel as though you can begin to iron out the hitches and the breaks in the breathing. As you feel the breath moving in to the nostrils, you feel as though vitality and inspiration is riding on the breath. So you feel this sense of prana or life force riding on the breath. You might even feel or sense or see it as light. So just imagine that there's a ball of light, a tiny ball of light in each nostril. And those balls of light pull the breath in all the way up to the third eye point. And from the third eye point, those balls of light push the breath back out through the nostrils, leaving a stream of light. So see these balls of light pulling breath in through both nostrils all the way up to the third eye. and then pushing the breath out through both nostrils. So you feel as though you are drawing an inverted V of light on the breath. Just one minute on your own. Just continue to see these two streams of light meeting at the third eye point, feeling as though light is being collected at the third eye. Let your awareness rest at the third eye point, the midway point between your eyebrows. There you may sense light, a presence. Feel as though as you inhale, you can draw that light from the surface of the skin between the eyebrows into the midbrain. And as you exhale, it moves back from the midbrain to the midway point between the eyebrows at the surface of the skin. So you are moving this light, inhaling from the third eye between the eyebrows into the midbrain. Exhale, it moves back out to the surface of the skin. One minute on your own.
just see this ball of light that has accumulated in your midbrain. See this ball of brilliant light. At the center of this ball of light is a tiny golden flame. Feel as though you can draw this light from your midbrain down the spine, down the central channel of your spine, all the way to the space at the center of your chest, your spiritual heart center. So feel that this light is dissolving any blockages, any obstacles as it begins to move down the spine. Eventually, it comes to rest at the center of the chest. Allow this light to rest there. At the center of your chest. As your awareness rests on this light, you're going to ask yourself a question. So listen for the first thing that you hear. Feeling as though you are becoming absorbed in this light. Just ask yourself the question, who am I? you've heard your answer, you can begin to deepen your breath, slowly allow your eyes to flutter open, maybe take the next three to five minutes to journal about whatever it was that you heard. Thank you for joining me. Namaste. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. And don't forget, Tracy's doing a day-long retreat with us at Den Studio City. Go to denretreats.com and sign up. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.